taught me how to ride a bike, to tie my shoes and fly a kite, how to swim and how to fish. I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. To see a star and make a wish. Hi, folks. I'm having a good day today. Let me be the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must note that I'm not a psychiatrist. If you're certain dies you diagnosed with autism, please see a physician. I only speak based on my experiences. Also, on the right to the credit, they're both found on ytmp3.com. I also have a mission statement I'd like to review with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People on the spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities are not to be pitying. There's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some people i like to thank. First, I'd like to thank my latest guest, Rich Beto and C225, giving the beat to Rich Beto. What a great guy with some insightful information. Thank you, Rich. You are truly a rock star. I want to briefly talk about the Focus Academy. All the way in UK, the Focus Academy is a business whose mission is to provide kids of all ages with the cognitive skills and attention training they need to succeed in school. While we may not work with them, this is an amazing source to use if your child has ADHD. Some exciting news I have is I was able to talk to Jock Roju, or as people know him in wrestling, the Mountie. He may come on my show, but I want to recognize what he is doing because he is going places and discussing his journey involving his bully story. It is amazing what he is doing. We also have a new board member. We have April Peters. April has been a supporter of ARAR since the beginning, and we cannot be any more excited about having her on her board. And since the last episode, I have attended the Laguan and Niguel Connectors, or LNC networking event. I rocked it and made some new friends and supporters. Finally, I have been on several podcasts. I was on Managing Manhood podcast with Oren Smith, the Gullback Girls podcast with Karen Goldbot and her daughter, along with Find Happiness podcast with Lawani Wari Happy Life. What awesome podcast. Now, folks, we'll be right back here and after the bar on Maryland Ridge, so let's get to it. There is a hidden gym in eastern Greene County, folks. Fowler's Pumpkin Patch and the barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends, Perry and Renee Fowler, and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indiana. You can find them at 5347 South Green County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations, including several rolling fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812-325-6022. All right, folks, we're back. You definitely will hear the words I do at this wedding barn. Now, today we have season 17, or in this case, this last year's 2022 Omega's Got Talent competitor, and his name is Ben Waits. Born with arthrogryposis multiplex conetta and bound to a wheelchair, Ben has never met a challenge he couldn't overcome. Discovering God at an early age, Ben was introduced to the sounds of Southern gospel by his grandfather, Jim Waits. Since that time, Ben's music has been described as blues meets jazz meets Southern gospel. People across the world are drawn in by its authentic delivery and powerful vocals. Fans often describe Ben's music as anointed worship that draws the Holy Spirit. So let's welcome the influential Ben Waits to Autism Rocks and Rolls. My friend, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm all right, my friend. 
So my first question to you is, what does being wheelchair bound mean to you? I guess just a face value, simply put, having to sit in a wheelchair for majority of my day. That I think it's probably just the face value part of it. Can you explain to me what you mean by face value? Sure. It's not a defining factor of me. For instance, I'm not defined by being in a wheelchair, but just more of matter of fact, I'm in a wheelchair. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes 100% now. I just couldn't follow where you were going. But now that totally makes sense because it's just a part of who you are. It's not the full portrait of Ben Wade. Now, what were your initial thoughts when you learned, though, that you were going to be wheelchair-bound? I grew up with it, and it's interesting. When you grow up with something like this, you don't give it a whole lot of thoughts as far as limiting factors. I like to think of it as not a disability, but more of a physical challenge. So the challenge is what can I do that overcomes all this stuff? So if there's something that I want to accomplish, it's not a can I accomplish it? It's more of a how can I accomplish it? That's really been kind of my life motto. I like that a lot. But let me ask you, there's a lot of people out there who don't see that. How can people get to where you say, okay, I'm going to accomplish this. It's just a matter of time. It's definitely a perspective thing, which for me, having my faith in Christ is a really big thing, right? So a lot of the scriptures that I read and I study, they give a lot of insight into this type of perspective that I'm talking about. So one in particular, it's kind of like my life verse, if you will, is Romans 8, 28, where it says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So all things in my life work for my good. So even this challenge that I have physically is for my good. It works for my good. And I found that to be true because it has caused me to look at life through a very specific and unique lens. And with that, it's like I'm looking at different things that I want to do and want to accomplish. And it's not a, can I even do it? It's more of a, how can I do it? How can I find the way to accomplish such a thing? And so just having that different perspective shift, I think is is what's detrimental. That's what's so important in order to have this type of mindset. Otherwise, I mean, the mind, it can be the most crippling thing about us if we let it limit us. If our mind is limited, then of course, we're going to limit ourselves just based off of that perspective. Yeah. And if you think about it, why be stronger physically when you can be stronger mm-hmm. mentally? Now, how do you think someone who is wheelchair bound, like brains operate? Because I know it probably processes differently when you're sitting in a chair a lot of times. You know, what's interesting. So I was born in 1989. I grew up throughout the 90s. And the 90s were fascinating because we were on the dawn of this technological advancement through the 70s and 80s and 90s. Technology was just kind of starting to blossom and really sparked in the late 90s going into the 2000s. And so a lot of the stuff today that I look around and I see, even like this computer that I'm on, I can just speak to it and it can type out whatever I'm saying. That was not really a thing. (laughs) When I was a kid, I learned how to do a lot of different stuff. For instance, for typing, I have this stick that I have with me here. And this stick here helps me type. At the end of it, there's a conductive tip which works for touchscreen. So on an iPad or the trackpad on the computer or even a phone, an iPhone, it lets me use these devices easier than normal. Now I can use those things on my own. For my iPad, I can use my nose to scroll or to push different buttons and different things like that, but it's quicker and easier with this stick. So technology has been an interesting thing. 
the further we go, the more it advances. Like every six months, what was cool yesterday is now obsolete and there's something new to replace it. Well, first of all, on a funny side, when you did the stick, you looked like Popeye. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but on a serious side, we are in the same path because I'll tell you, the year from like the 70s, 60s, 50s, autism was institutionalized. We mm. were basically in a mental asylum because we were acting so different because of, I don't want to say issues, but challenges we couldn't help. I think that that brings up a really good point too. A lot of people will fear what they don't understand, or they will jump to conclusions for things that they don't understand, right? There's a lot of assumptions that can be made. I'm thrilled of how much we've progressed on that front, because I, I can remember even as a kid, they would be cautious with how they would approach me, especially on tasks. They wouldn't make an assumption that I could do something. Whereas now most people go with the assumption that I probably can do something, but they'll ask if I need assistance with it. That's a very different mindset. It's really funny to see too, because I remember watching a clip from Family Guy, actually. It was like this 1950s doctor, and it was basically... <laughs> This person who was in a wheelchair speaking up, and he was like, all cripples are insane. Take him away. <laughs> and obviously, it is funny, but there's a serious side to it because really think is, about yeah. living in back in 1950 where if you, sir, would have spoken out to him, you're going to the mental asylum. My grandmother worked over 40 years at a psychiatric hospital in central Louisiana as an administrative assistant. The amount of knowledge that she learned just from the perspective of watching people that would come in watching the doctors, watching how the evolution, I mean, 40 years span is quite a significant amount of time. And so seeing how these different neurological things and even physical things on some occasions, how they were approached and how it changed and evolved over a 40 year span, that was a wild thing for her to watch. And she and I have talked about that a lot down through the years of where we were and praise the Lord, where we've gotten to <laughs> versus then. We got a long way because I think we're both in the same situation because with the physical and the mental challenges, we yeah. are aware, but we're not accepting all people. We still get looks. You still get looked with the nose probably if you had to yeah. do that. What's interesting too is, especially in my field, it's become a bit of an asset for me as well because people are so enamored. Oh my goodness. Usually what people, when I put my nose to the iPad, they think I'm kissing it. So a lot of times people say, are you kissing your iPad? <laughs> no, I'm using my nose. <laughs> but that becomes a fascinating thing for them and even an inspirational thing for them, which as always, I don't want to diminish it. It's always humored me because for me, it's what I do. It's just another thing, another way of operating this machine, this device. But for them, they look at it and they go, if I were in the same boat, would I be able to adapt? in such a way that he has and it it's become an inspirational thing for them and i get that comment a lot which like i said it kind of humors me because i don't think of it in that way now what is the most rewarding and most difficult part of being wheelchair bound i think the most rewarding aspect of it is the inspirational part of it not that i'm trying to be an inspiration I, i'm wanting to fulfill the call that i have that god's put on my life through music, but at the same time, I'm all, I want to live my life to the fullest, whatever that looks like. And so it's not that I'm attempting or trying to be this grand inspiration for people or to people, but as a result, it's a consequence, if you will, of, of me trying to live the fullest life that I can live. People see that they become inspired by it. That's a really powerful thing to sit back and accept and see how this is affecting people. That means a lot to me. So I'd say that's the most rewarding.
I would say the challenge is the most entertaining part for me. The challenge is the fun part because with whatever it is that I'm wanting to do, I have to figure out in what manner am I going to do this. So uh, some of it's easy because of technology these days, but so much of it isn't. For instance, when I went into vocal coaching and one of the big things was you can't play the piano. How are you going to do scale? How are you going to get the key and all this? How are you going to play stuff for people when you, you can't physically play the piano? To be honest with you, that was kind of an easy one. I contact an engineer friend of mine. I said, here's the scales I want because I know music theory. I even know theoretically basic piano. And so I contacted this engineer. I said, these are the scales I want. He used the MIDI piano, created what I needed. We changed the tempos, keys, all that stuff that I needed. We were able to put that down and boom, I've got my own little piano with a tap of a button on the iPad and there it goes. That is pretty cool because it helps you out. And I always believe using your resources is helpful because my friend, you use it, you'll call the friend. Shout out to him, first mm -hmm. of all, for doing that because he didn't have to, but that's what we all need in life is resources. And my friend, you took the right step into using one and I hope more people can use them and not be ashamed of using them like you. But I know sometimes with your AMC, it, I don't think you can like reach stuff. Does that bother you sometimes that your physical challenges get in the way of doing like simple tasks? At this point for me, I've gotten just really acclimated with it, right? Because again, something you're born with. I grew up kind of always being the short guy, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I feel you, brother. Cool. Don't worry. I'm yeah. short. I'm like or something if I had a guess. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. Again, technology is something, right? Because this chair that I'm in, which I've never had a wheelchair like this one, but this one has a seat elevator, so it can rise up. And uh, I think it puts me... I don't know how tall it would, it's not terribly tall, maybe five, five, somewhere in that ballpark, five, six, something like that. So it can rise up, which is neat. But even if the height weren't an issue, I still can't use my arms, can't raise my arm, can't do a full grip with my hands, either of my hands. So I still can't grab things. Yeah, there's definitely a grand scheme of times where I'm wanting to purposely do something. I want to move something. I want to grab something off the counter or anything like that. And I can't. You learn how to do some of it. So with the seat elevator, that kind of conquers some of the height things. And with my mouth, I can grab a lot of things. I can pick up a pitcher, cups with handles. I can grab those. Some cups have like a lip on the rim around it. And I can use my teeth to kind of grab those rims. I can pick those up. You kind of figure out what you can and can't do with some of those normal household items. It kind of something to go back on what you just said. I definitely don't have any issues at all asking for assistance with that. And again, going back into my faith on this, we're a community. We are a body. So we need to be there for one another. I don't have any problems with asking for assistance. And then on the flip side, I have no problems with assisting somebody if I can do so in my power with whatever I can. Let me ask you, when you do grab stuff with your mouth, have you ever accidentally swallowed something? When you meant to grab it, you're like, oh, went down the throat there. That wasn't meant to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're a kid, you're figuring these things out and you're learning how to do so. But yeah, for sure. Oh my gracious, alive. Especially when it's like food related or something. I'm, I'm just trying to like move the food or something and I inhale and there it goes. It's right down the wrong pipe too. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like, well, <laughs> water please. But in all seriousness, I am glad I do understand with wheelchairs because my best friend, who's actually on my show and see for the listeners and for you, 142 identical yet opposites by BJ Yoho. He's actually in a wheelchair himself. Because of the chair elevating, he's now able to cook. 
there are washers and dryers that operate over Wi-Fi so people can use a phone to even get them kicked off and started. It's amazing to me what all's happening with some of this technological stuff. Now, what advice would you give to others who are wheelchair bound? First thing, which is probably the cliche thing to say, which is never give up. I think that's a, a big thing. Don't give up. It's terribly easy to give up. And again, this goes back into that mind perspective, that mental perspective of how you're viewing life, how you're viewing things. And then the second part of that is always experiment. Don't be afraid to try things, to, to see what can happen or can't happen. That's like the biggest thing for me when I was learning how to do anything and everything. And even today, even now, when I'm trying to learn a new skill, it's, well, how can I make that work? I don't know. I have some ideas. Will they work? Well, let's not let fear dictate me not even attempting it. So I'm going to overcome the fear and I'm just going to try it and figure out what works and what doesn't. I agree with you. And this is kind of cliche too, but because if you do screw up, you can clean your mess up. Now, I do want to talk to you more about America's Got Talent. So what I've heard from research and do some digging on you, you've, America's Got Talent reached out to you. So how did you feel when America's Got Talent reached out to you? That was wild. I was recording a song called Real As I Believe. It was a new song. And when we were in the studio, we were just kind of trying to figure out how we were going to approach the song. And my producer said, let's use Cindy Lauper's True Colors as a reference, kind of like a little guide that we can use to just emulate the certain feel or certain vibe, you know, certain stylistic approach. And when we got a rough version of it, I started singing it in different churches just so that I could get a feel of if it worked or is the song a dud or is the song a good song? Is the track good? Do we need to rearrange something? Do we need to change anything? So I was singing it just as a little test run and someone videoed it at a church that I sang in Indiana and they posted it on TikTok. In 24 hours, it got like 600,000 views, just went totally crazy. And I started getting emails. I started getting messages. I didn't even have a TikTok account at the time. I didn't know what in the world was going on. I just had people emailing me about this song that I hadn't released. And I was going, what in the world? How do they even know this song <laughs> exists? And the lady that posted it reached out and she told me about it. And then a week after I got an email from AGT asking me if I would consider being a part of the show. And to be honest with you, I've never been a big fan of any type of competitions or anything like that, talent shows or anything like that. So I deleted the email about a week after that. <laughs> I got an Instagram message, a Facebook message, another email, and my grandmother got an email from this person saying, I'm a real person. You look me up on LinkedIn. This is for real. I work for AGT. Would you please consider? I talked with my grandmother, my mom, and my wife, Natalie, and we went back and forth. And finally, the three of them said, look, you've been doing this for over 20 years, and you're trying to reach a broader audience with this message, the gospel of Christ, right? You're trying to reach as many people as you can with this. Why would you pass up this opportunity to potentially reach millions of people? With that message. And I said, you make a good point. <laughs> so I emailed them back and said, hey, I'd love to do it. And that kind of started the whole little process. They wanted me to send in a bunch of videos of me singing, which I've got a bunch of those. This is what's really, really wild. They emailed me back, not knowing any of this stuff about Real As I Believe. They emailed me and said, could you choose a song from this list of songs to sing? And the second song on the list was True Colors. Now, they didn't have any idea about that, but I thought that that was just a really powerful and Holy Spirit, divine intervention, if you will. So basically what you're saying is they wouldn't leave you alone. Yeah, they wouldn't leave me alone. They were very adamant. <laughs> Maybe. Or you think God had something to do with it. You know, it sure feels that way. All right. And maybe it was both too. Who knows? 
Now, I do know the reason, but I kind of want you to reiterate because it's important to hear. So you say to hit your audition from the people you coach. Can you tell us why again? Going in with a voice lesson, I say this in two different perspectives. There's there's one perspective of being a vocal coach, right? Being the one that's these people are coming in, trusting that I'm going to guide them in the direction that's going to better them as a singer and as a communicator with music. The second perspective I have with it is I'm a singer as well. I've taken voice lessons. I've taken numerous voice lessons. I still take voice lessons to this day. I know what it's like going into a voice lesson and the the expectations that you have. When a client comes in and they have invested their time and their money into this, they're looking for an opportunity to better themselves. And so for me, it's just a very powerful thing, a very, very purposeful thing that this isn't a moment for me to showcase myself in any way, shape, or form. Even vocally, it's some of the things that I can do vocally. It's not about me showing them, look, I can sing this and you can't. It's about them and about them progressing and moving forward and becoming better at their craft so that they can communicate the message that they have on their heart. Did they see you audition or did you after say, oh, hey, I auditioned for AGT, by the way? Yeah, some of them did see it. That was funny. So when the episode aired, my phone nonstop blew up that whole night. I've never experienced anything like it. And of course, amongst that were some of my clients and they're saying, I did not know you were going to be on. This is the coolest thing. And yada, yada, yada. It was a cool sharing moment. You get recognized at all? Like when you go out and about, do people recognize you from your audition or? I have, I wouldn't say a crazy amount, probably one, I'm not wearing the same outfit. And then secondly, too, I'm usually wearing one of these hats that probably helps like a Superman. Like I, I do not know that it's Superman. <laughs> yeah. But just wear just we need, we, Next, we need the glasses. <laughs> yeah, I got to give me some glasses. I've had it happen. I was down in Florida, I think it was. We had stopped at a restaurant to eat. This young couple came up to me and said, what was funny about them is that they recognized me off of the TikTok video. <laughs> which I thought was even funnier. Even here in Nashville, downtown Nashville, a group of people came up and said, we saw you on AGT. That's awesome. And fun fact for you, I visited downtown Nashville, actually, for a vacation. We wanted to see the Grand Ole Opry. I've always wanted to see that, so... Yeah, I love the Opry. I really love the Ryman Auditorium, which I've never been inside the Ryman Auditorium, but I'm hoping to soon. I'm wishing you luck with that, my brother. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Now, what I did notice, and you didn't get to perform for Howie because he was sick, unfortunately. Were you at all disappointed about that? No, just because I think the opportunity in and of itself is such a grand thing, right? Of course, Howie Mandel's iconic comedian that is world-renowned, right? So, of course, there's this bummer, if you will, that he wasn't there. And I remember when we got the word, I was backstage when they told us that he wasn't going to be there. Everybody in the room was like, oh man, oh man, I hope he gets better. But it's interesting because you see these faces on TV, you hear these names, but to go out on the stage and have an eye-to-eye connection with them is a really uh, surreal thing. Yeah, you're starstruck. Yeah, you can be for sure. So this is something I noticed too. So when you did come on, I knew I wanted you on my show because you were in a wheelchair and I figured something was up. I figured that. But a lot of like the other contestants said, oh, hey, I have high function autism. Oh, by the way, I yada, yada, yada. I have yada, yada, yada. But yeah. you didn't. So I want to know, why did you not mention it? I have gotten this question quite a lot. 
Um, and here's the true blue, as honest as I can be answer. I forgot <laughs> because I don't think about it. It never crosses my mind about my condition, my physical state. And so typically, if I'm not asked about it, I don't bring it up. Were you like after, oh, wait, I didn't mention this. I wonder what they thought. I don't think to talk about it. I don't think to bring it up. And so even after the fact, no, I, it didn't even cross my mind then. It wasn't until people said, he didn't even mention it. Like, what does he have? Like, what's why is he in the wheelchair? It's like, oh, that's, I guess people would want to know. <laughs> yeah. Can't hide. You can play seek though. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel though when you got the ovation you received? And how did you feel when Sofia Vergara shed a tear for you? That was unexpected. It was a very moving moment for me. Music is this universal language. You work with the music team of AGT. So you're working hand in hand with these people. And again, they didn't know about True Colors and the connection to the song that even got me on the show. But when I saw True Colors on the list, I said, I want to do that one. Their main thing was they didn't want to take away from the message that I wanted to say. What they wanted to do is how do we heighten the message so that it can reach a broader group of people that it may not reach beforehand. And that was the thing you heard me say on the show, Why True Colors? This is a song that can reach anybody. This song can impact anybody from across the world, of any background, of any race. And so that was the intent behind the song going in, is communicating this message of being seen. I see you for who you are. I see your true colors, right? So when that standing ovation happened, one, I felt connected to everybody in the room. All of these people were resonating with this particular message. And then to see Sophia with these tears just streaming down her face and knowing that there was this shared connection, this moment between the two of us of connecting and resonating with this same message, that is definitely something I'll never forget. And it seems like, based on watching it, it seems like it was more of an emotional moment to them compared to you or maybe it was yeah. equal and i can see that i don't use the word stoic <laughs> but maybe it's fair to call myself a little bit stoic i'm very observational if you will i'm the type that likes to, to sit around and watch and see and, and experience a moment and be sensitive to it as well you can really see that too on my face of just really taking in this moment and, and unpacking it yeah i like that too but when it's done i'm done yeah, well, like I, with I'm moments, it's it. like, okay, I've had my moment great. <laughs> when other people are just like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And just won't stop celebrating it. Yeah, no, I can feel that too. It's like, well, okay, well, we're done. What's what's for dinner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Now, unfortunately, I wish you would have gone further, but you got eliminated with the wild card because the comedian took over, I think, basically. So how'd you bounce back after you got eliminated? So it was super funny. One of the big things was I had a lot of um, I, a lot of interviews that came as AGT was going on. More than I thought was, it didn't cross my mind a lot of sense. If you're on national television, it's probably going to be a lot of interviews come from it. And so a lot of the questions were pretty common amongst them. But one that just kept being repeated and repeated was, what's next for Ben Waits? After AGT, we are going to keep doing music. And that really always kind of humored me because I've done music. I've traveled and sang for a living for over 23 years now. And that is going to always be the thing for me. 
I'll always be doing music. I'll always be traveling, trying to get this message out to as many people as I can. And so that's where my mind has been at, was at, and is still at. Now, with that, did AGT change things? I think it did. I've had people reach out to book me for different events simply because they saw me on AGT and they felt that what I did and what I do is something that would work for their organization or for whatever event that they're hosting, you know? So it definitely opened up the opportunities and broadened my audience, if you will. Gotcha. Have you gone to the Opry? Like, have you got to be on stage at the Opry? Because no, I know you're I close haven't. by. Yeah, I am. I have not been on the Opry as far as performing it. And it, I, I met several of the other contestants on AGT. And we've connected, like Chapel Heart is one, we've messaged back and forth. And Wynn Starks is another one. Wynn Starks actually lives here in Nashville. And Amanda Mamana, we've connected a little bit. So she, I'm, I'm working with her right now. She might oh, are you really? Me. Yes. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, so she's amazing. That's awesome. I can't wait because we're definitely trying to work with her maybe for the listeners, maybe in the future. I can't say that yet because we're still getting a date set, but we're hopefully like, next one actually that's amazing i love that well if you do you have to give her a hello for me i will a hundred percent my friend now i do want to talk to you about your condition so you're going to be the teacher in a minute so mr waits can you educate me on arthrogryposis multiplex cognata if i said that right <laughs> it is a mouthful. And I spent the majority of my early life just saying arthrogryposis. I didn't even know that people shortened it to AMC. Like I didn't even know that that was a thing. It wasn't until I was married, my wife found AMC support group on Facebook and different things like that. I was like, oh, wow, they call it AMC. I had no idea. So that that's really funny and makes me sound terribly naive. <laughs> but arthrogryposis, in a nutshell, what I tell people, it's, it is hooked or fixed joints. So my joints are all locked into place. My shoulders, my elbows, my wrists, my ankles, my knees, my hips, they're all locked into place, but I'm not paralyzed or anything like that. So if you kick me, I will kick you back. Rule number one with Ben, don't kick him, everybody. That's right. <laughs> or hey, you got the chair, run him on the shins. <laughs> my friend, I'll, you can probably make fun of me, but my friend, he sometimes does not pay attention. It is 24-7. It's like, get off my foot. <laughs> It's like one of the doubters that he comes with a friend with the wheelchairs. You got to watch your feet. You got to watch those wheels. You never know where they're going. <laughs> Literally. Now, I do want to talk to you more about your savior, the man upstairs, as we can call him. Tell me about the moment you discovered God himself. Oh, my gracious alive. It's been an ongoing thing. I can tell you that. So I grew up in a very much Christian home and my grandparents predominantly raised me for the majority of my childhood. And my grandfather was a gospel singer himself. So he traveled and sang across the South and sang at churches, revivals, homecomings, different things like that. So God has always been a conversation. Jesus has always been a conversation that's been had. But when I was 10, my big experience, if you will, I come home from school. I'd moved to Houston with my mom for just that one year. And I came home from school. We had a roommate with us and he was sitting in my room on my bed and he was reading the Bible. And this just fascinated me because for me, this was out of character for him. He was reading the Bible and it really stirred me and got me interested. So having this closer connection of a friend that's reading through the scriptures, it pulled me in. It was nearly instantaneous of 
accepting Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. And nearly, man, I'd say within a week afterwards, I started feeling this pull in my gut that music was something I was supposed to do. Let me ask, how has he helped you, not from a music standpoint, but from a personal standpoint? To be honest with you, he's definitely helped in the music standpoint as well. <laughs> but personally, oh man, it's everything. So my faith is everything. Daily scripture readings and studying the word and and studying the, an, an understanding of it. It's not memorizing scriptures. It's not just getting in your head these words that you can regurgitate that have no meaning, but diving deeper into it and having a deeper understanding of what is actually being said here in the Bible and what does it mean and what is the application for me? What does it mean for me personally? So having that type of relationship with God is everything. And so the core being of who I am is based on the principles of God and what his word says. If you had to pick one word that God says that describes you or has helped you a lot, what would that be and why? Mm, it's a good question. I mean, you got some good questions. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hebrews 11, which is considered to be the faith chapter, goes through all the Old Testament people, Abraham and Moses, and it talks about them and the, the faith that they had. What's interesting about those people is that at the time that they lived, there wasn't a written word. There wasn't a Bible to go to. It was just God. And so the fact that they carried out their faith, even without a written word, is something. I think faith is the one word. If I had to pinpoint everything down and really simplify it, it would be faith. Because faith in God is what saves from the unbelief. What do you mean by that exactly? I'm afraid I don't understand. So when Jesus came and Jesus walked on this earth and he started doing miracles, one of the, the common threads of every single miracle that happened with Jesus, all the healings or even the turning water into wine, all these things, they were accompanied with him saying, your faith has caused this to happen. Your faith has saved you. The question would then become, okay, faith in what, right? Because sure, have faith, but faith in what? The faith was put solely in Jesus. So the fact that these people had faith that Jesus was who he said he was, was the Messiah, was the one coming to save the world. The faith that they had in him, that belief is what brought about not only their physical salvation, if you will, but more so, more importantly, their actual salvation. So that's really what I'm, I mean. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So I do want to talk to you more about your grandfather, Jim Waits. So can you describe Jim Waits from your personal view? A man of God, a man of very few words, a very strong man, a man that had values, morality, integrity, and musical genius. This was a safe place for me as well. I remember being a kid. And he would be in the recliner and he would just scoop me up in his arms and uh, wrap his arms around me. And his body was so warm and his arms just all encompassing. It was the safest place I can remember as a kid. My grandfather was my teacher, my mentor, my father figure. He was a big deal. And rest in peace to him as well, because yes. I've heard he uh, kind of croaked in 2010, but still... Yes. Definitely seems like a great man. I wish we would have gotten to know him. And I do want to know more about Southern gospel music because you are fascinated with it. So if you had to pick a part about Southern gospel music that is the most fascinating, 
What is it? Oh, it's the lyrics, man. Especially if you go into some of the older hymns. Now, I am not saying that churches need to abandon modern worship and, and go to just old school hymns. Not what I'm saying at all. And I'm not even saying that all hymns are fantastic because there's plenty of hymns that are kind of eh. But lyrically, within the old hymns as a whole, there are some incredible biblical truths found written in them. And even in Southern Gospel, because a lot of Southern Gospel is written more modernly, we have a lot of modern writers writing brand new songs, Southern, just like the Real As I Believe song that I have that was written just recently. It's still the lyrics. I love the lyrics and what they're able to convey. That just, when I can sit back, read the lyric of a song like that, and it moves me, ah, I know we got a winner. So when you are creating a new Southern Gospel song, What's the process for you? So I know the theoretical things of writing, but I don't write. So I'm not an actual songwriter myself. I have a lot of friends who are, though, and they're very gifted at it. And I've always felt my gifting was more in the interpretation of a song, being able to deliver a message. And the process is that the hardest part is finding a song. And that probably sounds weird because of how many songs are probably written every single day. Surely you can find a song with a quickness. But when you're really picky and you're wanting to be super intentional on what's being communicated, the lyrical content of the song, and then once it passes the lyrical test, how does it do on the melody? Is it a good melody? Uh, does it does it flow well or does it sound archaic or does it sound like Bach maybe wrote it? And then how will that translate? Will a lot of people really latch on to something like that? Here lately, I've been working with a guy named Michael Sykes, who is phenomenal for, as a producer. And he and I go back and forth, back and forth and back and forth on songs. And once we both are sold on a song, and that's the thing. We both have to be sold on it. Once we're both sold on a song, then what we'll do is schedule what's called a tracking session. And we will book a studio here in Nashville, and he will contact musicians that he thinks will fit really well on the song, like the right type of guitarist who plays the right kind of genre of guitar that will work really well for the song. And we'll pick out maybe a guitarist, a bass player, a keyboard player, a drum player, whatever we need. And we'll go on that date for the tracking session and just record the music. And I will sing along just so that they have a vocal. They know kind of where I'm singing, where I'm not. And then once that track is finished, then sometimes on the same day, but most of the time on another day, I'll come back and record the vocals. And we'll spend, you know, all day just working on the vocals and making sure the vocal where we need them. And from there... It gets finalized into a mix, and that becomes the finished product. Hey, just thinking, it'd be really cool if you could turn like a hardcore rock song like Thunderstruck into yeah. like a Southern gospel. That would be really cool. Yeah, there's neat things of kind of what do you call it, crossing over those genre lines for sure. I've enjoyed hearing some people have done some like jazz, like old school big band jazz versions of songs. Like I heard, I don't know who did it, but it's Van Halen Jump, but it's jazz. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly now if you had to pick a favorite song to perform what would it be man ah uh, the one that's been with me for the longest is probably still a favorite of mine to do and that's it is well with my soul it's an old hymn but it's it has been reinterpreted and reinterpreted down through the years going back to that lyric the lyrics are just incredibly powerful and uh, and can reach, honestly, anybody at any point. You had to pick some musicians that you admire who 
man, that's not you're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> Name and name. That's that's the goal of this whole podcast. <laughs> okay, so on piano, there's three of them that come to mind. Number one, his name is Gordon Moat, and he is a blind pianist. And he's quickly about to become the most recorded pianist in studio history. Gordon plays on Rascal Flat stuff. He plays on Trisha Yearwood. Anything you hear on radio right now, and especially in the country scene, is probably Gordon playing the piano. Gary Prim would be another pianist. And then Johnny Minnick would be my third pianist. Those three are the best of the best, in my opinion, on piano. Drums, I think it's Scott. I think his last name is Williamson. That dude is a human metronome. It's unbelievable what he can do. Kelly Back is a phenomenal electric guitarist. And then for rhythm guitar, hands down, Joel Key, the best of the best. No one can beat him. Joel's been on nearly everything that I've recorded up here in Nashville. That'd be the that'd be the starting point. I definitely think they're all good. I've heard a couple of their songs, but I don't know if I could do what they do because my issue with the piano is I can't sit still. For me, if I play a music or sing or whatever, I have to move. Otherwise, I get very antsy. Got the rhythm in your bones. Oh, I do got it. It's mainly from my mother's side of the family. We all <laughs> like to dance, so it kind of runs down the traits, I guess. <laughs> so let's just say you could, didn't find music. What would you be doing right now? I, I figured probably with, with Christianity, but... Would you maybe be a minister, preacher? So without music, technology is, I won't say it's been a part of my life, but it's, it's been a part of a good chunk of my life, that's for sure. I've had a lot of interest in various things with technology. Front-end web development has been an interest of mine. I learned some coding languages years ago. My issue with technology is I don't have patience for it. Like, I'm patient <laughs> with a lot of things. Surprisingly, I'm patient with kids and pets like animals but not yeah. electronics like something screws up i'm like oh <laughs> i can understand that because here's the thing it's kind of this is the reason pets and children can listen technology can't listen to you now folks we right back we're here to ad from ipbd or international pride business guide so let's get to it the finest aspect of ipg or international pride business guide is that all you have to do is conduct a search in the ipbg database to find a ton of business services the company's mission is to serve as a resource that combines the best qualities of our lgbtq family and friends with the best that the rest of the world has to offer you'll be able to communicate with our family and friends as well as receive information benefits and services as a member let us know about any new business you know about as well as those that recently closed and we'll take them off the directory. We wish to give you the most precise information that is instantly accessible to others just like you. Drop a text or call at 385-383-2585 if you have any questions of yours that need to be answered. All right, folks, we're back and we'll definitely take some pride if you check this place out. So then I do want to know more about your vocal coaching. So what vocal techniques and exercises do you typically use with clients or someone very inexperienced like myself? So vocal coaching has been a fascinating thing and studying the voice since I've started singing. So over 23 years now, I've always been a student of the voice and learning different things, different methodologies. I first started with, in college, learning the bel canto method, right? Which bel canto means beautiful singing, beautiful voice, which is the more of the classical approach to things. 
But right out of college, I met a man here in Nashville named Brett Manning. And Brett has been known as the vocal coach to the stars. So he's the vocal coach of Taylor Swift, of Leona Lewis, of Luke Bryan, of uh, all these different people. Brett is the vocal coach. So I met Brett, started learning his methodology. It was a game changer, his method and approach. So Understanding the mechanics of the voice of the human body, how it operates, and then positioning it to be efficient for the vocal mechanism, that's really what I've been a student of. And that's what I strive to help clients with their understanding of it. And a lot of times it's not so much on the technical terminology side, but just making noises. And that's what I tell a lot of my clients. Singing is just noise making on pitch with words. So favorite exercises, it really kind of depends on what's happening with the voice, what I'm hearing, even with my own voice. I can tell you that the best exercise that exists, especially for warming up, is called the lip roll, which looks like this or sounds like this. I also heard tongue twisters too, like Sally Sells seashells or when I used to do, let's see, was it the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the tip of the tip of the tip of the tongue. Yeah. The, you can turn that to like a rap easily. Yeah. You should have became a rapper, brother. Southern gospel <laughs> rapper. <laughs> As a vocal coach, what has been the best accomplishment? There's been so many people that, that come through the door. Here's an example. I, I had one come in. I was teaching this guy. On a particular day, he had a lesson booked. He couldn't come in, so his wife came in in his place, and she took a voice lesson with me. She's singing the song, and I'm going, well, I feel like I've heard this song before, but I just can't quite place it. And so I'm working with her and helped her kind of accomplish this one part of a song that she was having some troubles with. We get out of the room, and we have this conversation, and I suddenly realize who she is. I mean, this is the lead singer of We the Kingdom, uh, which is, you know, they, they've been on the Dove Awards show. They've got all these awards they're doing. They're selling all these records. It's just, you never know who's going to come in through the door. I think a big accomplishment for me is having the trust of these people when they come in, that I'm going to give them something of value vocally and musically that they didn't have beforehand. And that is a good word that you said right there, my friend, trust, because they're meeting with someone who they may know now because of the AGT appearance, but probably, no offense, highly likely still not know. Right. And they're talking to someone who they never met to trust them with their voice, which is phenomenal. And he's talking about, you never know who's going to walk through the door. Yeah, you really don't. Maybe someone might come back from the dead, Elvis Presley or something. <laughs> yeah, you never, you know, he's just been in witness protection this whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I do want to talk to you more about being tone deaf. Actually, I've heard you're mm. that. So what does it mean to be tone deaf? Yeah, so tone deaf, it, what it really means is that you can't distinguish different pitches. To be more specific, you can't distinguish the difference between frequencies because all sound is that we hear is really just a frequency. It's an audio that's being created. And so to be tone deaf, you can't distinguish the differences between different frequencies or different notes. Uh, okay, so it's kind of like you think eh, uh, is the same, basically, if I'm following it correctly. No, okay. yeah, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. So like, like if I said, ooh, and then I said, ooh, and you can't tell which one's higher or lower. Oh, uh, okay. I thought that was right. I just wanted to make sure. But what did help you, what I learned, yep. was color. 
So how did color help you read music? Very fascinating thing. And it was an accidental discovery and one that I didn't talk about for years because I thought everybody experienced it. <laughs> but I could not match pitch for anything. My grandfather tried and tried and worked with me in the beginning. And then one day it just clicked and I started singing the right notes and it, it just worked. And we went from there and we didn't talk about it. And then one day I was telling this story to someone at a singing school here in Nashville. And she said, well, what did you do? You didn't just like wake up and singing, right? I mean, something happened. And I said, well, whenever audio is perceived, so whenever any type of musical thing happens, sometimes even with just speaking, my ear will hear it. And then my brain will turn it into a mental video of color. It's really hard to explain as far as what it looks like. It's got a lot of depth, got a lot of texture, usually gradient. It's a blending of colors and different things. And so when I would match the colors in my head, then I could match the pitch and sing the right note. And she said, that's not normal. <laughs> and that made me kind of branch out and research it. And I discovered that it's called chromesthesia. Oh, okay. And I'm going to use that actually what you said, because with my audio editing, because you said it could be with speech. So definitely useful for me to hear that. And I definitely learned something new with that today. That's cool. Now, what I did hear is you did get to sing at your own graduation. So how did you get to sing at your own graduation? And what were some of the scholarships you received? Several different scholarships that all kind of stacked up and helped get me a full ride through college. Singing at my own graduation, that was, you're in a room full of your peers, of students that have worked diligently alongside you to get this degree. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, going into this. And then also to celebrate alongside these professors that have poured so much into you. It was quite the honor, quite a, a deep honor, really, to have that opportunity to be up in front of my classmates, my teachers, my professors, the rest of all the family and all the other student body that might have been there to watch. It was a really meaningful thing. Would you say the ovation was very similar or even maybe even better than the AGT one? Yeah, it was definitely on par. <laughs> and I just thought while we were, while you were talking, I thought of a song you could do. Turn into Southern <laughs> Gospel. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by Elton John. That's one you could probably kill easily. I bet, I bet it would translate well. And speaking of singing, I heard you're doing some touring, so... Can you tell us some of the places you'll be touring in the future? Oh, I've got some Florida dates coming up. They're a bit scattered. I've got a lot of Louisiana. I do a lot of Louisiana, even though I live in Tennessee. I grew up in Louisiana, and that's my home state. So I do a lot of stuff around there. Mississippi. I've got some dates in Mississippi. I got some Tennessee dates. Uh, they're kind of everywhere. Benweights.com is really the best place to get a good idea of where I'm going to be. Well, I'll tell you this. If you ever head up a little bit north, not too far north, we visited like some people we met. Some of our guests we've had on have actually came to meet me in person. So if you're ever heading up that way, brother, we can get grab a coffee or go get breakfast or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Don't mind doing that off with you, man. You also, while touring, you do concerts. So what is your favorite part about doing a concert? Ooh, there's so much to it. It's kind of what I was talking about with the AGT thing. There's this connection that can happen between you and an audience when you're up there, and especially when moments are happening, when you've opened the door and allowed this experience to happen, right? Then it really can transcend a lot of stuff. There'll be moments where I'm singing a hymn, the audience knows it, they start singing, and then I can just stop singing. And there they are singing this song back to me. 
acapella. It's a really cool experience to see that. They're singing to the man upstairs with you and thanking him for his services to you. It's kind yeah. of a win-win situation for everyone, maybe. Now, you dig it to Pierre. I found kind of a hidden gem on Faith Ford Radio. So how'd you get to appear on Faith Ford Radio? You're digging back. Now, one of my college professors, actually a communications specialist, that was a station that he had put together and was doing, and he did for a long, long time, actually. And he graciously asked me if I would participate and be a feature on that. I was honored to accept that. And so, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun to do. It was like free AGT, in a sense. Now, I do want to talk to you more about your wife, so... When I've heard you learn about your wife on the karaoke app. So what were your first thoughts when you saw your wife on the karaoke app? <laughs> it's an app called Smule, S-M-U-L-E, Smule. I had joined that app just because, it, um, honestly, I was bored. It was New Year's. I saw where a, a close friend of mine had sung some song on, on it and had posted it on Facebook. And I thought, what in the world is Smule? So I downloaded the app. And realized, hey, it's a karaoke thing. And you can join people from all over the world. And so I started singing on there. And I was doing a bunch of jazz standards. And I think soon after I joined, my wife joined on that app. And she started singing a bunch of jazz. And so we ended up connecting through this jazz music and singing together. And meeting her has been one of the greatest highlights of my life. I thought, man, what a voice she has and what a personality she has, what a sense of humor she has. She was super funny. She's super phenomenal singer. And I didn't know this then, but I, I know it now. She's a very talented pianist as well. Is she one of your other talented pianists, like up those with Gordon and all of them? I'd put her up there. Oh boy, now that's saying something. That's true love right there, my friend. <laughs> but just out of curiosity, before you met her, were you afraid she would judge you based on your condition? Because I know people like myself have had that fear. I know my friends have had that fear. So are you like us? That's a really good question. Not specifically, no. But I had also kind of conditioned myself that I would be, and, and this is something she and I laugh about now. I had conditioned myself that I was going to be single for life. So that was, that was going to be my lot in life, is I was going to be single. <laughs> the single Southern gospel singer. <laughs> the SSG, the Southern single, wait, the SSGS, the Southern single gospel singer. Yeah, you're okay. <laughs> I had to like get my acronyms right. Like, uh, is it SGSSGSS? <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that. You have her, man. She seems like one heck of a woman for you. But how has she supported you personally oh, and professionally? Immensely, you know, immensely. She's always there for anything that I need, emotionally or uh, even physically helping me out with, with setting up different equipment or different things like that. She's a bit of a techie person, too, so that's really nice. She knows how to hook audio equipment up. But then also, if it's ever needed, she's there to, to drive me to different concerts, different venues, set up the equipment, anything like that. So huge, massive support, always there to encourage me, always there to push me, even to challenge me of what more can you do? How far can you take it? Can you go beyond what you think your own limitations are? So she's fantastic. She helps you when you hit the stump, basically. Yeah, when I get stuck in the mud. <laughs> yeah. You mean that literally or? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. My friend in the wheelchair has gotten stuck too in so many weird places. I'm like, 
there's a positive with having a friend in a wheelchair is you have to watch the feet, but you can get stuck in so many places that you can laugh at him for it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> now we're going to wrap up here. So these are just for fun. So these won't take too much time. So what is your paradise meal or favorite food? And why is it your favorite? I think I could eat pasta every single day of my life. There's something about pasta. It's really comforting, tastes really good. And you can do a lot with it. There's a lot of recipes, different types of recipes. All right, how do you like your pasta? You like the spaghetti and meatballs, chicken Alfredo? So I grew up eating a lot of crawfish fettuccine. So I do really like crawfish fettuccine, but and I also like anything with angel hair is really good. So what is your favorite movie or TV show and why do you like it? You know, the movie thing is really hard. It depends on what's going on. I'm not sure I could come up with a movie. TV show, this sounds real, okay, laugh at me or call it cliche, whatever. The Chosen is phenomenal. Now, I would never have said a Christian show is my favorite TV show in the past because, let's just be real, Christian television is usually under budget and not very well produced. Not very good acting. Not very I agree with that because my friend, I had a deal with, it was like this really bad, like, world's dumbest. That's why you watch people act like idiots, basically. This is a guy who's a preacher, and he's dropping F-bombs everywhere. I'm thinking, you're a preacher. You're dropping been... F-bombs and calling people names. What? My gracious alive. So The Chosen came out. Dallas Jenkins directs that and created that and, and does that. It is one of the most well-done, high-quality productions, Christian productions. I think it's the, probably the, the best Christian production I've ever seen, but it can rival some secular shows out there. Now, what is your favorite vacation that you've ever taken, and why did you enjoy that vacation very much? It was Thanksgiving, and it was in the Smoky Mountains. My family had rented a cabin. My mom was there. Both my grandparents were there. We had the weekend there. It was so much fun. We had a lot of laughs. And then we wrapped it up with a, there was a restaurant there in Pigeon Forge that had all-you-can-eat turkey and dressing. That's cool. I've been to Gautenberg too when I was younger, actually. Yeah. I went to the comedy barn, actually. I don't know if you checked yes. that out place, but yeah, oh my gosh, I've out laughed my pants off, man. It's so good. It's so it good. It is so good. I had to embarrass my dad. He got on stage. I like try <laughs> to like point the guy out. I was like, get this guy on stage. And I think the guy was either very kid friendly or just a nice guy because he saw it and boy, he picked him right away. That's amazing. He had he was the one, I don't know if you saw in your show, but it was a guy who had the sticks, and every time you hit him in the head, you got, he had to go. Like, oh, yeah, his yeah, mouth. yeah, yeah. And in the back, he had to bow his head down. We had to embarrass him a little bit. Hey, I like it. Final question is, are there any good memories that you want to tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? So before you answer, I'd like you to end with a good memory that made you feel good inside, that just warmed your heart, or I guess you call it sentimental, and a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing, and it could be with the Makers Got Talent, your wife, with Faith 4 Radio, with pretty much any moment of your life. Your call, you want to answer it, my friend. I tell you a funny memory, and it, this is kind of one of those funny as in you had to be there, I guess. <laughs> I remember my mom one Christmas, she wanted to go all out with the Christmas tree. Now, what that meant was the ornaments, the lights, you know, all that, the, the angel on the top. But then also, for whatever reason, she wanted to put angel hair on it. And so she just went to town throwing that angel hair everywhere. And it got everywhere. But it got all up in my clothes. And it was just poking and itchy. And I think that I fought with that angel hair itchiness for like a solid week. I could not get it out of my clothes. Oh, I get it. So you're like the respectful me or those guys who just stay in the movies. And they're just like, when there's, when there's something going on them. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say favorite real, you know, there's a lot. There's there's really a lot of different memories, and I hate to kind of categorize favorites or rise some that rise above. But the day that I got married, I think that would be one for the books. Oh, that's a lots of good one right there. And my friend, that's a good way to end this because I think that's all. But is there any closing remarks or anything you'd like to promote before we head out of here? I am so honored to be a part of this. And, and thank you for having me on. And you are quite incredible. So this this was a joy. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming in very soon. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. How long, how long Till I reach the end of this valley